Hello, 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 and welcome. This is Talk the Plank, episode 67 of Pittsburgh Pirates podcast on SB Nation's Bucks Dugout. I'm Nathan Hirsch, and I'm with Jake, Radio Jake Slobodnik. How's it going? It's good, man. Just got back from the chiropractor, got a nice adjustment going. Big Pirates win today. All around, just a good day, man. How about you? Pretty good day. It's nice out, and the back feeling better, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was overdue for an adjustment. Let's just say that. Yeah, I feel that. Well, the Pirates were overdue to call up some young players. How's that for a transition? A-plus transition. Yeah. So um, last time we talked, we really we got into it. We pretty much bitched and moaned the entire podcast about how this team doesn't care, and they're waiting as long as possible to call up young talent. Well, after a pretty predictable sweep at the hands of the St. Louis Cardinals, the Pirates made some changes. They called up some players, including Rowanzi Contreras, the young ace that pitched in the Colorado Rockies series, five scoreless innings. He looked pretty solid. They also called up Yuri De Los Santos, who closed out the final game in the Rockies series today. Just one inning pitched in ninth inning. It wasn't a save. They were up by five. The Pirates were, but he looked sharp. And, of course, Cal Mitchell was called up as well, the right fielder. He's gotten a few starts under his belt, and he has some hits. He's looked pretty pretty competent at the plate. So uh, some of the corresponding moves, Daniel Vogelbach was trans, or he was put on the 10-day IL Heath Hembry was put on the 15 day IL and Cam Aldred was designated for assignment, which I'm not a huge fan of that, but I'll be happy about the young players coming up and looking solid right away. What are your thoughts? I agree. They look really solid. Um, well, we knew from the get go Contreras was going to look good. So there was no shock, no shock there. Came in, took care of business, um, looked really good game one. His rise on his fastball. <laughs> People talk a lot about his breaking yeah. stuff. But the only other place that you see rise like that on a fastball is in college softball. You'd never see that in the major leagues. But Rolante Contreras, my God, he's going to be exciting to watch. He's going to be our next ace. Um, in fact, he might actually already be at that status. I know it doesn't take a lot for the Pirates, but... My God, just watching him, it, it makes you want to watch the game when Rolante Contreras is on the mound. Um, <clears throat> Gary De Los Santos, very small sample size to go from, but, I mean, two strikeouts in your Major League debut, you'll take that. Um, let's see, Cal, Cal Mitchell, I was really impressed with. He looks more comfortable at the plate than anybody on this team. I mean, he. you look at some of the body language from these guys. Um, I can name a few off the top of my head, but I'm not going to because it's guys we complain about on a constant basis. Um, wait, what? Yeah. I say, yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> but he does. He, lo- he goes up there, and no matter what pitch it is, whether it's a strike down the middle, uh, one that clips the corners, or a ball way outside of the zone, he is locked in. He sort of goes through three scenarios. and It looked like he go through three scenarios in his head about the possibilities of what pitch is coming next. And it helps him look more prepared for the next one that comes in. I mean, even though he didn't like go three for three since, you know, in every game since coming up, he just looked all around much more suitable at the plate than most players. Um, today, 
a big RBI double. He gave the Pirates an early lead in yesterday's loss uh, with an RBI single that took care of his first major league single or major league hit and RBI. Um, <clears throat> so I have high hopes for him. Outfield, he plays the ball really well. I have nothing wrong there. And while he wasn't promoted recently, uh, Jack Sawinski now leads the uh, National League in, among rookies in home runs. So that's pretty astounding when you look at some of the competition he's up against, such as uh, Seiya Suzuki, Joey Bart, you know, those type of guys. Jack Sawinski's in pretty good company. So the Young Bucks are really uh, – they're, they're sort of making uh, holding true what we said last week during our complete bitch fest where – you know, once these guys come up, the Pirates are going to be more of a watchable team. Um, but, you know, all around, I just thought this team looked so much better. And especially with the young guys that got brought up um, without them up here, we would be talking about a whole different story. We'd probably be talking about taking only one of three from the Rocks or maybe even getting swept by. So I think without this young power that we had, um, we would have lost. And I think it only can get better um, with more call-ups that are expected to come uh, in the coming days, I will say. I don't want to say weeks. I want to. I'm, I'm more optimistic that they'll call these guys up sooner rather than later. Yeah, I hope you're right. And I think you kind of touched on it. Obviously, the call-ups are nice to see, but overall, we're kind of seeing a team just filled with an injection of young, new blood, and uh, they're they're producing. Swinsky, like you mentioned, another home run. The average is still below 200, but that slugging percentage is creeping up. It's now at 413, so the power is definitely nice. He's second on the Pirates in home runs with five. Um, Also, Rodolfo Castro. He hasn't really been hitting a ton, but he has been making some really nice plays in the field at shortstop. Um, He's bringing a certain energy as well, this young, exciting energy. These, These young players are... They're eager to play. They're hungry. It's a super cliche. It is. But, you know, you can just feel the energy shift with more and more of these young players getting called up. And, yeah, once Cruz is called up, hopefully, hopefully in the coming days, same with Mason Martin, you put Cruz at shortstop, you replace Castro, put him at second base, and, uh, you know, replace Josh Van Meter, although Van Meter – did hit a three-run bomb today, which I don't really care. He's still hitting 210, 256, 383. I guess the slugging isn't that terrible compared to some players. But, yeah, um, get Mason Martin in there at first base instead of Yoshi Satsugo. And we'll see what this team is made of. That's all we've been asking for. That is literally all we've been asking for all season long. We just want to see what these young players have in the tank and you know you want to see what their potential is rather than seeing the same old van meters and Sutsugos and cole tuckers and you know i i don't need to get more into that i've been harping all season long but it is really nice to see uh right off the bat cal mitchell three for nine in the past two games an extra base hit making a difference in the game making some nice plays in the outfield as well. I know the Rockies aren't particularly good, but Pirates scored 10 runs today, and I can't even think of the last time they scored 10 runs. I know before today, the last time they scored more than four runs was like two weeks ago. So uh, definitely nice to see some offense, at least in today's game. 
And on the pitching side, um, let's let's touch back on Rowanzi. You made a great point about his fastball. That thing just pops out of his hand. And I know I know these days, 96, 97 miles an hour, it's pretty common. But he just his his fastball definitely has some zing on it. It has some run. Um and it, it gets by hitters. And the thing about his outing, too, is the breaking stuff really wasn't working all that well for him. He couldn't really find the release point, I guess, and, you know, find the location with his slider, which is also really nasty. So he was pretty much relying on fastball only, and he was able to get through five innings scoreless. So he looked solid. He's already the Pirates' best starting pitcher. I can comfortably say that, even though Quintana has been solid this year. Rowanzi's definitely the most talented starting pitcher for the Pirates. Um, but all in all, I mean, Zach Thompson looked pretty bad today, but JT Brubaker, awesome in the first game of this Rockies series. This starting rotation is starting to shape up a little bit. Uh, Mitch Keller's in the bullpen now. He he wasn't great today, but he, he was able to kind of survive through three and a third innings. Uh, he did give up five hits, but he only gave up one run. So uh, I'm a little more optimistic with this podcast rather than the last one because finally, finally, some of these young guys are getting called up. And kind of like I said, that's all we that's all we wanted to see. And we'll see for the rest of the year what this team really looks like because honestly, you can throw these first 40 or so games away because this wasn't the team. And once the team is here and called up, we can kind of uh, see what they're made of. Right now, the Pirates are 18 and 25. And yeah, they still have the worst run differential in baseball. But at least now we have something that we can kind of get excited about. So I'm happy for that. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm going to put this out there about Mitch Keller. I shit on him being a starting pitcher, but I'll tell you what, I love watching him as a relief pitcher. He seems more comfortable out on the mound when he's coming out of the bullpen. Um, a la, I think it's Will Crow who also feels that comfortable. I know they talked about it the other day. Um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, Mitch Keller, like you said, not great. But I'll take a, a one-earned run outing in three and two-thirds out of the pen than him giving up, say, four runs through five innings. I'll take that any day. And, you know, it's one of those things where only our bullpen can get better. I know people sort of think that the Pirates' default is when a starting pitcher sucks, send him to the bullpen instead of actually trying to bring in a good pitching coach to help out. But it, you look at JT Brubaker, you, or not JT, um, you look at Mitch Keller, you look at Will Crow, uh, Dylan Peters is another one. These guys are succeeding coming out of the bullpen. It's just, I guess, getting over the yips of starting. But I will commend JT Brubaker because he did look much more comfortable out on the mound. I always, I, I feel like I'm talking more about comfort level this podcast, but it's true. These guys yeah. look a lot more in their element on the mound. And I don't know if that's just because it's PNC Park or, you know, maybe they had high hopes going into these starts, but Brubaker dealt, you know, he was, it was probably his best outing of the season, if not his second best outing of the year. Um, and he's really turned it around this month. I cannot, however, for the life of me, pinpoint Zach Thompson because there are days where he'll look like he can mow down a, a, a you know opposing hitters, possibly throw up a no hitter or a perfect game, and then there are days like today where you go up against a Rockies lineup that is missing its best hitter in Chris Bryant, and um, you know he 
he struggles heavily. He gave up a home run to CJ Crone, which give or take with a grain of salt because CJ Crone has just been a monster this year. He's got 12 home runs. Uh, but from the get go, he just looked lost. Um, thankfully our bullpen and lineup bailed us out, but I don't know about you, but I cannot pinpoint Zach Thompson, whether he's good, whether he's bad. He just, you know, he's still trying to get adjusted to the pirate system or if this was a complete waste of trading Jacob, uh, Jacob Stallings away. And this was just a, a poor return. And we only have the prospects to look forward to now, but I will give credit where credit's due. JT Rubaker looks solid. This series, Mitch Keller looks better out of the bullpen. Um, our bullpen obviously continues to look good and Rowansi doing Rowansi things overall. This was probably the best week of uh, the best series of pitching that I've seen from this team. Uh, probably uh, since before 2021, maybe even 2020. Yeah. Um, the, I'll say this on Thompson. I'll give him a pass for today's start because if you look at it, his April was just absolutely awful. Um, you know, he, he was involved in that 21 to nothing game against the Cubs. He had a 10 ERA in April. But before today's game in May, his ERA was 053. So he has strung together. Before today, he had strung together three really good starts, five innings of scoreless ball, six innings of scoreless ball, although both of those games were against the Reds, but whatever. He also had five innings of one run ball against the Cardinals, so that that was pretty solid. So Thompson, I think I feel pretty comfortable with him staying there in the back end of the rotation, and I, I'd say the jury's still out on him, whether he's good or not. The ERA total this year, I think now it's, it's what? It's 550, I believe. And um, we'll see with him, but yeah, I, I agree with with what you said about the pitching rotation. It's it's kind of getting better. Although I know I know a lot of people are they're kind of on Oscar Marine's case, the pitching coach for the Pirates. I agree with that too because you know it's still not good. Um, hopefully, Rowanzi adds a shot in the arm, and maybe I mean <laughs> this is kind of sad to say, but maybe Rowanzi and Jose Quintana is like your one-two punch, which. Not great. Rowanzi's great, but Quintana, I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. But, yeah, hopefully Brubaker is able to continue to be solid. Hopefully Thompson is a little more consistent and shows more of his May version of himself rather than today and April's version. But it's weird. The Pirates only have four starters right now because Mitch Keller's in the bullpen. And I agree with you. Keller looks he looks more comfortable in the bullpen. Another one of those guys, I forgot to mention him, a part of the transactions is Bryce Wilson. He got sent down to triple a and deservedly so, but he's another guy that I feel like could be a potential, you know, Dylan Peters, Will Crow bullpen starter type. They're not starters. Chase the young. That's another guy too. They look pretty solid in the bullpen, the bullpen overall, not too bad. And I know I'm kind of uh, getting off topic here, but Dwayne Underwood Jr. also has looked pretty solid since coming back from injury. I know he was a fun guy to make fun of last year because he struggled, but his fastball is touching the upper 90s. He's looking solid. The bullpen looks solid. Um, but, yeah, I think Wilson, if he ever gets a shot back up here again, I'm sure at some point he will just with injuries and how long the season is, he'll probably get an, another chance. But 
I think he needs to be a bullpen guy. The Pirates just need one more starter to eat innings, I would say. But I, I guess right now, where they're at, it's basically four starters where you hope to get at least five innings, maybe four to five innings. And then that fifth day is kind of a piggyback game with your combination of, you know, four bullpen guys that have starter backgrounds, I guess. So I I don't feel too terrible about the pitching staff right now, to be honest. Um, I definitely, you know, over the past few weeks, it's been the hitting that has really let the team down, but maybe that'll turn around too here a little bit. And we'll see what happens in the coming games. But yeah, overall the pitching has looked solid and I just I just think the overall theme of this podcast is that thank God that the young players are starting to to come up because yeah, it was unbearable here like a week ago. <laughs> Literally, because we spent a whole podcast just stating the obvious, just getting letting off steam. Uh, <laughs> but I also want to know what what triggered this, because I don't know if you saw the postgame comments from Shelton. I think it was Sunday after the 18 to four loss. He kind of surprised me with what he said. Normally he gives that, you know, I mean, I imitated him last time about how I expected him to answer postgame comments. But he was more pissed off. Like there was a fire lit under his ass for the first time since being in Pittsburgh. And he, I think he implicitly called out the front office saying, we have young guys that need to play. Like, I think he was getting tired of being dealt such a rough hand with the team. He's tired of the backlash. And I mean, I'm not trying to defend him in any way. And I'm not saying he's a good in-game manager, but I think he finally reached a boiling point and finally said, you know what? I need talent. I need players that can actually produce. And the front office, listen, Ben Sherrington with let out a, Sigh of disgust, knowing damn well that he is treading service time manipulation uh, cancellation. But he did what was best for the organization, did what was best for Derek Shelton's interest, and it's it showed, at least in this series. And listen, I know there are going to be some naysayers out there that say it was against the Rockies. They never know where they're at. They never can find their footing. Well, the Rockies, in my opinion, look a lot better this year than they have in recent years. And the fact that we've made it competitive with them and took two or three – with some of those guys that we just called up, I would consider that a major win over anything. So I would not take this as, you know, a series that we were expected to win. I would more or less look at this as a stepping stone a stone for where to go here. I think Charrington finally sees that letting the young guys play is a good thing for this team. And I think he's going to open the doors a little bit more. And I think we're going to see even more players come up than just Mason Martin and O'Neill Cruz. I think that, you know, we're going to see guys like... Um, G1 Bay come up maybe toward the end of the year. I think might see some pitching reinforcements. Uh, already we saw Yeri De Los Santos. We might see guys like uh, Cody Bolton maybe. if he. I know he's a little bit different because he's been injured for the past two years, and so he hasn't had much time. But if he continues to produce, we might see Cody Bolton make uh, the major league roster, maybe get some starts, maybe a, little, a few relief appearances too, sort of gauging where he's at. But I think this was the best – you know, the best option of interest for the pirates was starting to finally on, you know, let the gates open, let the young guys come up, just let them play, you know? And here's the thing. If, if it's true that Derek Shelton is a very big players coach and that he puts the players first and, you know, he's a really good, you know, he's really friendly and personable to the guys. If you, if he is, if that is true and these guys come up 
to Derek Shelton, their chemistry is going to grow. Now, I can't speak for what Derek Shelton's going to do in terms of in-game management because we have seen that time and time and again about how poor that can be sometimes. But if he can at least make a good connection with these young guys, it'll definitely allow some opportunity for these uh, prospects that are coming through to produce because the, the atmosphere of the clubhouse is positive. It's not, you know, drab. It's not like, it's not like playing for John Russell or Jim Tracy because they were just very, uh, <laughs> they were old hats. They, they, they would not make it in today's game. They would not make it friendly for the players. Um, they would probably be a worst version of, uh, I'm trying to think maybe Joe Madden, but, um, Overall, I think if these guys come up and if the clubhouse atmosphere is fine, the future is promising for these guys. I do want to touch base on one of the moves that you talked about, and that was Cam Aldridge's designation for assignment. I just have three words in response to that. What the fuck? Why did we DFA him? There, <laughs> I don't want to make this into a very negative and pissed off podcast, but Aldridge, in my opinion, didn't deserve that. There are other suitors on this 40-man roster that deserve to be DFA'd well before a guy who comes in and throws a great inning. Only one inning, and that was his MLB debut. And then after that, we tell him to hit the bricks. Like I, I don't know how if you, are you, I don't know if you're as confused about that as I am, but that to me was a complete waste, and I would not be surprised if he got claimed here within the next 24 hours. Yeah, I agree. I didn't really, I didn't like seeing that, especially when we have guys like Cole Tucker still on the forty-man roster, or even on the pitching side, uh, Aaron Fletcher. So I think you know those are two names right there that I would rather DFA than uh, Aldred. But also too, we just picked up Tyler Beatty. Like, why did why did we need to claim him instead of giving Aldred a chance? But I guess at the end of the day. These are like fringe 40-man roster players, and I don't like it, and I kind of hope that he goes somewhere else and succeeds, but I guess I can't get too mad just because who knows. But, yeah, I mean, I I was impressed with him um, in his, you know, his debut with the Pirates, and we'll see if he gets claimed again. I, I guess I hope he doesn't because I would like to see the Pirates use him at some point this season, but... It sucks, but I'm not going to, you know, lose sleep over it, I guess. But I see what you're saying, though. I I think there were definitely better options to get rid of rather than him. And it just goes back to some of these decisions that Ben Sherrington makes. And kind of circling back to you kind of asked why, why now? I think... Why now that all these players got uh, called up? I think it's kind of been a perfect storm of on Sunday, the Pirates lost 18 to four. They got embarrassed again. And Derek Shelton, I guess, had a, had a talk with the team Monday and they, they responded in this series against Colorado. But also, you kind of look around Major League Baseball. I do think that teams are getting more comfortable calling up higher end prospects because of these, I think the service time has been manipulated, uh, so to speak, because you see the Orioles, they just called up Adley Rutschman. So they feel pretty comfortable that they'll get that extra year of service. And I think the pirates are kind of in that same boat because 
I, I believe the rule is the super two rule, I think is like, it's like 22% of the very first players that get called up, get super two. I think I'm not exactly sure, but you know, I think, I just think the point is the pirates feel comfortable that they'll get that extra year of service. Now, if they call up the players now, and they don't really have to wait any longer. And I, I would guess with someone like Cruz that they're just they're going to wait a few extra days, maybe just to be safe, that they for sure 100% get that extra year of service time. But I don't know. We'll see. I think that's why those players were called up. And um, there's something else that I wanted to say, but I forgot. But, yeah, when it comes to Aldred – it does suck, and I don't know. It's weird. Part of me wants to see him go to another team and to see it bite the Pirates in the ass, but I guess another part of me, as the Pirates fan, wants to see him get a chance here in Pittsburgh at some point. But, yeah, just a strange move overall, though. I agree. And, I, and Like you said, he's a fringe 40-man roster guy. You know, he's not one of the top prospects. It's not like we made a stupid move with, say, O'Neill Cruz or somebody like that. You know, there was not really much – uh, expectations surrounding Aldred. But my my argument for that is if you're going to bring a guy up and, you know, he does well, you know, let him ride that wave of success until he gives you a reason to DFA him. I mean, we, like you said, Aaron Fletcher, he has not proven to us at all why he should stay on this 40-man roster. The dude is just terrible. But, you know, Cam Aldred comes up and throws a scoreless frame in his MLB debut. His stuff looks pretty good, and he's not a velocity guy. He's more of a break and control guy. But I, I, the fact that we would get rid of him, and I don't, I don't really think it, we should blame the signing, the claiming of Tyler Beatty on this because overall I think the Pirates needed somebody from, an out, from outside the organization to help bolster this bullpen because Heath Hembry was not that guy. Um, He's a guy I wouldn't mind us seeing DFA. I mean, we didn't pay him too much either, so it's not like a big loss. Um, right. But, I mean, I could see that I, why they took a waiver on BD. But at least for Aldred, like, they should have at least given him a few more shots in the game before, you know, before telling him hit the bricks. And, and like you, I'm, I'm conflicted because I want to see him go to a different team and succeed, kick the Pirates in the ass. Nothing would make my day more. Well, actually, I can't say that because that makes me sound really cynical. But... I want to see a guy in a World Series who we DFA'd, like Bo Salser or Cam Aldred, come in and shut the door in the ninth to, cl- to clinch the World Series win for the other team. That would just feel like like swift justice for me. But at the same time, I also, like you, want him to stay in the organization because I wouldn't mind it if they called him back up one day and you know they give him another shot because that to me would be divine intervention. You know, the guy who we all feared would be claimed is still here and he does a good job. So. I we can only pray throughout the entire, uh, I guess, waiver process that he does not get picked up and he just gets optioned back to Indy, uh, Indianapolis. But I, I, again, going on to the younger guys, I'm with you. I think that super two, two rule is right there, and you know, of course, you're going to try to protect your high end guys or the guys you value more uh, more uh, with that rule. And like O'Neill Cruz and Mason Martin, they're hot right now, and they've been hot for years. So, of course, they're going to try to protect them at all costs and, you know, say they call him up too early. Whereas Cal Mitchell, I mean, he was supposed to – wasn't he supposed to be a Rule 5 pick this year? Yeah, I think I think he definitely had a chance to be. And then, you know, mix that in. I mean, I know Mason Martin is too, but there's a difference between Mitchell and Mason. Um, with Mitchell, 
you hear sort of how Derek Shelton talked about him in the pregame conference prior to his MLB debut. And it's not like he said, man, this guy is crushing it in AAA, you know, leading in home runs and RBIs on base percentage, going down all this sabermetric stuff. No, he, he just went on to say he's been the most consistent. Um, and while you like a guy who's consistent, that was pretty much the only selling point that Shelton had for Cal Mitchell. So it's like, okay, you know, if this guy doesn't pass the Super 2 rule, which take that as you will, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Whereas our big guys like O'Neill Cruz and Mason Martin, we want to lock down that extra year of control because of how they're performing right now. I, that, that at least would make sense to me. I don't know if you have a different way that are a different, a different reason of what, of why they did this, but that's at least my thought process sort of tying into your thoughts about super two control. But um, that's at least why I think they went with De La, or Contreras, De Los Santos and Mitchell. But I think, Contreras is a little different because they need the pitching help, not so much because, you know, of service time manipulation. Yeah. And just to be clear, super two is basically a player. I don't, I don't think it has to do exactly with like getting an extra year, but super two is another pirates being cheap thing where if a player is super two eligible, they get an extra year of arbitration. So instead of having three years of minimum salary and then three years of arbitration, they would have, two years of minimum salary, and then four years of arbitration. That's how the Super 2 works. So that's why you look at the Pirates, and they're like, oh, we definitely don't want O'Neill Cruz to get Super 2 because Pirates, <laughs> let's say O'Neill Cruz comes up and he hits 40 home runs right away, then up, oh, that's more money out of the pocket. They got to pay an extra year of arbitration for O'Neill Cruz. God forbid, can't do that. But service time-wise, I, I don't know what the cutoff is to get the extra year but I do think it has passed. It it has to do, I don't know, this whole the whole service time thing is like rocket science, I swear to God. But it has to do with uh, percentage of playing time in Major League Baseball. I, I don't know, but I think the time has passed. But it is funny how, you know, the Pirates called up Jack Sawinski earlier. They don't really care about his service time. They're like, you know what, throw him in, it's fine, whatever. What happens, happens. And good for Sawinski. He's actually, he's kind of come through. And that's kind of what happened with Brian Reynolds in 2019. They called him up in April. They're like, eh, whatever, throw him into the fire. If he's good, he's good. It wasn't like we have to wait until June to call him up to preserve an extra year of service. So it's kind of funny to see how the, the organization views some of these prospects. I would guess they view Cal Mitchell as more of an asset than, say, Jack Sawinski, just because they decided to wait to call up Mitchell. Obviously, the same as with Rowanzi. They wanted to get that extra year of control with him. And who knows, just to be safe, they might send him down at some point just to lock that up, which I don't know. It's just annoying to see. But, yeah, it is interesting, and we'll see how long it takes for the Pirates to finally call up O'Neill Cruz. Before we wrap up today, though, I just want to look at the schedule here moving forward a little bit. It doesn't get easy, Jake. Uh, Pirates are off Thursday, and then it's a West Coast trip, and it's about as brutal of a West Coast trip that you can you can muster up here. Three games at the San Diego Padres, who are 28 and 15, and then three games against the Dodgers, who are 29 and 13. So honestly, if the Pirates are able to win one of those six games, 
I may consider that a win. Once again, though, we'll see. We'll see what the young players are made of. This will be a great test right off the bat to see what they can do. Um, but, yeah, Friday we got Jose Quintana against Sean Manaya. That's a lefty-lefty matchup starting pitching-wise. We'll see what happens there. Saturday, we have JT Brubaker against former Bucko Joe Musgrove. And then Sunday, this is a really fun young pitching matchup. We have Rowanzi Contreras uh, matching up against Mackenzie Gore, who Gore has been really solid for the Padres to start here. Any predictions? Do the Pirates have any chance here against the Padres? And then we'll talk about the Dodgers a little more on the next pod. I think they do against the Padres a little bit. I think the biggest chance that we have at winning is in the Rowanzi game. Um, series finale. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, for some reason to me, he just with the eye test, I know numbers speak differently, but the eye test, he just, he's not as great as I expected him to be. And Rowanzi is uber great. Um, so if, this is going to be a true test for him. I say if he overcomes, even if we lose, but the thing I'm looking for here is if Rowanzi can strike out the impact hitters for San Diego, that's a win in my book because it shows that the future is promising. But I think we're going to, I think we're going to take Sunday's series finale against the Padres. Rowanzi will get a win and it'll really make people start to scratch their heads about whether or not Rowanzi is an, has ace potential or not. And I mean, people outside the organization. So, um, and I also think that maybe I have a strong feeling that Mason and O'Neill are going to be called up by Sunday. So I think that we're going to get uh, those guys up and they're going to help their teammate Rowanzi get the win. A strong feeling, huh? Is that, is that some sourcing? Yeah, I you know, I'm feeling a little tingly in my gut. I feel like they're going to, you know, call up those two and we're going to see the future today. All right. We'll see. I hope you're right. Uh, we can wrap things up there. And also shout out to our last podcast where we cried and cried and cried and we got what we wanted. That's what happens when you cry. You get what you want. <laughs> that is so true. You just cry and bitch and eventually you'll get something. Yeah. All right, Jake, give, give us your Twitter. Twitter is at underscore radio Jake. Awesome. Follow me on Twitter as well at Nathan underscore Hirsch. H-U-R-S-H. And of course, follow Bucks Dugout on Twitter at Bucks Dugout. We got recaps after every game. We got game threads. Hop on SB Nation. Give us your opinions. Yeah. Check us out on Bucks Dugout. And yeah, we will be back Sunday, probably at the conclusion of the Padres series, talking some pirates. And who knows? Maybe O'Neill Cruz will be on the team by then, or Mason Martin. Jake, any last thoughts here before we get out of here? Josh Van Meter is going to be the bane of everybody's existence, even though he already is. Uh, I think he hit six for 12 this series, which means uh, like Punk's Tony Phil seeing his shadow in six more weeks of winter. Josh Van Meter went six hits this series, which means we're going to extend him to probably two years because that's how the Pirates are. Yeah, he's at least earned himself another month of playing time, which... You know, if he's good, be good, but just be good consistently. Yeah. Don't give us this teetering around 180 average for six months. I can't handle it, but yeah, yeah he'll probably get to you at some point. All right, everyone. Peace out. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Bye. <laughs>